0: So if you go all the way back, since the beginning of our narrative of faith, our ancestors noticed and celebrated certain places as holy and set apart. Right? If you, if you read back, Abraham stacked stones on top of one another to remind himself where God promised him that he would receive a lineage as numerous as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand in the desert. And then his grandson, Jacob, uh, took a moment to rest in the desert after running from his family. And when he fell asleep, he saw a vision of a staircase going up into the sky and down into the earth with messengers going up and down. And when he woke up, he realized God had been in that place even though he didn't know it. And so he used the very stone that he was sleeping on to form a pillar, anointing it with oil and marking that place as holy. He even named that place Bethel, which is Ugaritic, an ancient language for house of God, a stone in the wilderness set apart as a house of God. If we keep reading in our scriptures, we see that Moses removed his shoes in the presence of a burning bush where God was alive. And then eventually Moses and the people who had been released from slavery followed the presence of God through the wilderness in a pillar of fire and smoke. During their journey, those often hesitant but generally faithful followers, they created a sacred ark to house the covenantal laws and the tangible presence of God. And eventually, those same people journeying through the wilderness crafted a tent to rest over the ark of the covenant. And then we see, after several generations Later, Solomon uses his incredible wealth to build a colossal and ornate temple to worship and honor God. And God was in one place. So when the temple was destroyed by a Babylonian army, it was a huge problem. The people who had devoted themselves to God by worshiping in the temple had to find ways to worship God in their normal habits of life. They had to find ways to demonstrate their faithfulness beyond the sacred walls of a sacred building in the sacred city. See, there's a shift that happens, right? In the origins of our faith, God was recognized and worshipped anywhere, in gardens or in deserts, at the peaks of mountains and at their base. But then when power was held in human hands, temples were built. And suddenly, God could only be worshipped in these sanctuaries of a human crafted temple. And as time has gone on, we've built more and more of these places to honor God, but the concept really hasn't changed. Inevitably, we think our place and our time and our way is the best. We set sanctuaries apart as the place where we meet God And that's all good, I think. I think it's important to have intentionality in our worship. I think it's important to be mindful and aware of God's presence in particular places. But those particular places should point towards God's presence in the normal and mundane places too. Otherwise, I worry that we may have confined God to this particular room from 9 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock in the morning, maybe 10.05. Sorry, those of y'all who are in Sunday school. <laughs> and that's it. I'm, I'm worried that we might have confined our worship to God to an hour on Sundays in a really beautiful room that feels set apart And sacred. But the reality is, this is just one place where God meets us, right? The obvious reality is that God is present in all of the other sanctuaries and churches around the globe, but more importantly, God is present between those buildings as well. And so I could easily, my sermon could be about the immensity of God or about how impossible it is to confine God to any particular location. I could talk about how God doesn't really care about what liturgy we use or don't use. I could talk about how God has no, at least to my knowledge, has no known preference of whether or not he prefers bands or choirs or particular kinds of instruments, right? I have no knowledge of that. But I think all those conversations really start to miss the point. I read a really interesting, uh, unscientific study performed by a worship leader in a large church uh, in California this week. Um, Over the course of a couple weeks, a worship leader named Manuel Luz interviewed 100 people uh, just with one question. How do we know if worship was good? That's a good question, right? How do we know if worship was good? And the answers were pretty relatable. Um, I was moved by it, being one of the most popular. You know, I was really moved, so worship must have been good. Um, I felt like God was present through it. Um, I was able to forget about the stress of the week. Or, I really liked the music, right? Those were... Those are all pretty relatable answers. I think all of us might have said something like that. One of those in our time in church and in worship, they're incredibly relatable answers. The problem is that all of those answers reflect my preference, right? Or my feelings and not necessarily God's. And this is why I think arguments about worship styles and preservation of certain spaces and uh, pieces of furniture can be so unhelpful. They have very little to do with worshiping God, but have a lot to do with maintaining our sense of comfort as we worship God. And don't get me wrong, I'm confident that God wants us to be happy and wants us to be comforted. And beyond that, Scripture is full of stories and parables about the need for communities to worship God alongside one another through songs and readings and testimony. Worship is meant in community is meant to draw us together despite our differences to focus on the One who created every single one of. Us. Worship is meant to rekindle our sense of connection and conviction about God's goodness, God's faithfulness and mercy. Worship is meant to awaken our inner selves to the truth that all are beloved creations of God with just as much value and worth as the person who's sitting next to you. Your value isn't determined by whether or not you can keep up with a responsive reading. It's also not determined by your ability to sing on key. Thank God for that, right? Your value is only determined by the love of God, which is everlasting and persistent. So after the temple that had been torn down by the Babylonians, after it was rebuilt, Jesus had a really interesting and intimate conversation with the Samaritan woman at a well. Now, this story, in and of itself, just the setting and the conversation itself, has so much to talk about. It's significant in its own right for that context, and in the eyes of Jesus's religious tradition, this woman is outside of the community. She doesn't belong, and Jesus certainly should not be speaking to her alone at the side of a well, but that's not what, uh, that's not the point of this sermon. That'll be, you know, several later down the road. Uh, As a part of their conversation, this woman explains to Jesus that she worships God on the mountain with her community instead of in the temple. And I think Jesus's response is beautiful as much as it is inclusive. And honestly, it would have been very hard for his own faith community to hear. Ken just read it for us, but I want to read it again in part. He said, "'Believe me, woman.'" The time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The time is coming, and it's here, when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The Father looks for those who worship him in this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and in truth. So in this sense, worship is just participating in God's spirit, God's work, through the lens of absolute and vulnerable honesty. This is an incredible paradigm shift. I hope you're sensing that. Worship is just our cooperation with God. Worship is the act of cleansing of ourselves, of the lies that we tell to ourselves, that we have to be productive, that we have to look busy, that we have to look the part, that we have to pray the right prayer to get what we want or need, that we have to have the right family dynamics, or that we have to make life look easy, or even that we have to make life look hard-earned. These things are lies that keep us from worshiping in spirit and in truth. These lies constrict us. They place limits on us and they put us in competition with our friends and too often they put us in opposition to our community. That is not worship. Worship is It's gratitude in the presence of God. Worship is confession when we make a mistake. Worship is connecting with people who are different from us and similar to us. Worship is opening our eyes to see the truth that's within us and opening our eyes to see the truth of everything that surrounds us. Worship is joining God in compassion for those who are hurting. Worship is... Joining God in advocacy for those whose voices have been stripped away from them. Worship is rejoining and reconnecting with those who have been pushed to the margins. Drawing them into a beloved community. See, worship is so much bigger than spending an hour in this beautiful sanctuary singing wonderful songs, and praying beautiful prayers. Worship is intentionally living a real and messy life in the presence of God from Sunday all the way through Saturday. And as the church, the church like capital C church continues to lose its power in the world, I'm genuinely excited to see what will come in the future. I trust, I know that God will continue to be with us, permeating everything and calling us to remember who we really are. You are a beloved child of God, made in God's own image and named good from the beginning of time, and there is nothing you can do to change that. And that same truth exists for the one sitting next to you. Every time we gather, every time, whether it's in this room or anywhere else, we have an opportunity to remember this eternal and sacred truth. Because as Christ our Lord told to the unnamed woman at the side of a well, The day is coming when we will not worship on mountains, and we will not worship in sanctuaries, but we will worship God in spirit and truth in the midst of our God who is spirit. And y'all, I long for that day. May it come soon. Thanks be to God. Amen.